Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 238. Today is Tuesday, the 20th of June, 2017, and this interview is with Brian Falchuk, who's an accomplished business executive, and he's also the author of the inspiring book, Do a Day, that despite being his first book and being self-published, hit the bestseller list on Amazon. In this conversation with Brian, we discuss the genesis of his book, about his life-changing day, and the do-a-day philosophy that he now coaches and speaks about at conferences. It's an uplifting story with plenty of pearls of wisdom to start living your day today. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. I have the great chance to chat with Brian Falchuk. So Brian, um, you and I have never met in real life, uh, but I've had a chance to peruse your, your book, Do A Day, and uh, lovely to have you on my show. Thank you, Minter. It's great to be here. So, um, as I like to ask my guests who they are, I don't know how you can do that in a short version, because you got so much in there. Um, and what's your mindset? Well, that's that's a much better question than who I am, but I'll try to do the who I am quickly. Um, I'm just a guy. So I'm a, a father and a husband. I'm an executive at an insurance company, but most importantly, outside of the, the father and husband role, uh, I'm someone who tries to help other people change their lives. So I, I don't do it myself. I try to guide people on a journey by sharing what I've experienced and what I've learned and a, a philosophy that I've created out of that. Uh, and so I've had the, the blessing, really, of being able to help people understand themselves and bring transformation into their lives so that they can start to actually achieve what they wish they could be achieving. So they're no longer just wishes. And how would you describe your mindset? My mindset, um, I think that my mindset ties very closely to the message that is in the book and that I use in coaching is it really is uh, trying to focus on a life of mindfulness and a life of what I call do a day. And by that, I mean, I, I try very hard um, and I quite often succeed and occasionally I need to work more, but um, I, I work very hard to not judge myself and others off of what's already happened. And it's, this is really focused on the self. So mistakes I've made before, um, ways I've behaved, things I've done, whatever it is, whether it was yesterday or, or a thousand yesterdays ago, letting go of what's already happened. And by the same token, not living in excessive anticipation of what's yet to come, whether it's good or bad. Because in both of those cases, you end up costing yourself today. Yeah, so and you is, end up yeah, making... One, yeah, go on. One is not criticizing what you've done, and the other one mm. is not hard harking on about what's about to happen. Yeah, and, and people think that that's all about the negative, but it can certainly be about the positive too, because if we're sitting here longing for what's already happened and we don't have anymore, or in, you know, in anticipation of some great thing that's yet to come, how are you supposed to enjoy today? How are you supposed to make conscious, good choices today 
so you can have the most, you know, the most fulfilling life possible. Because the reality is, if you're always living in anticipation of tomorrow, whether good or bad, or you're always living with judgment or regret or longing for yesterday, you never give today a chance. And and it sounds hokey, but today is all we have. You know, yesterday is not here anymore, and tomorrow will never come because it will always be tomorrow. So it is trying to bring yourself back to focus on what's going on right now because you still have to make choices and uh, have experiences in the here and now. So you really should make those as complete and enriching and contributing to your overall achievement as possible. So Brian, in your book, Do A Day, you, you reveal an awful lot. And I, I'm, I'm wondering what was the process that allowed you to get into that space to go into those darker feelings, the the challenges you face, the teasing, the you know, there's a, there's a lot of dark tissue in there. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of it is stuff that comes out naturally through the work that I do with with my coaching clients or people that I mentor. So it wasn't hard for me to hone in on what are the stories that I want to share in this book because the book is ultimately. I didn't write it to sell books. I wrote it to help all the people that I could never possibly coach, even if I did this 24 hours a day for the rest of my life. So I wanted to really call on the stories, the interactions, the approaches that I've had success with as I've been helping other people. So I knew I knew what kinds of stories to focus on. And when you do that, if you're not willing to open up about yourself to someone who hasn't necessarily figured out how to open up about themselves to themselves, you probably aren't going to be very successful in, in helping them change their life and helping them sustainably move forward. So, you know, when you're not there, will they continue on the path? So that takes a level of vulnerability and honesty and openness that I think is really crucial. And frankly, I've always been comfortable being that way. Um, but you know, it is different. It's now it's in print, you know, it's, it's a published book and that's, um, that doesn't go anywhere. That's not a conversation I can deny. That's a written record of, of these things. So you do have to think a bit, but the message and the impact of it is far more important than any sort of embarrassment or cringing I might do for a moment. And I, I don't, I don't focus on the acts of other people. Um, you know, there's certainly much more to my life and my story than I really shared in here, but a lot of it is about something other people may have done or a situation I was in and what their actions are. This is not a book about them, and my life is not about them. My choices aren't about them. They can do whatever they want. I still need to make my own choices for me. So I did focus on myself, and I think I, you know, I obviously have more of a right to open up about myself than I do to open about somebody else. Sure. In in when you talked about your vulnerabilities and the challenges, it does. Uh, I mean, I echo with what Tony Robbins did, or who he he is as a function of the challenges he had as a child. Do you think that's a necessary component? for the type of position you're in? I think from my perspective, it is. Um, I know I resonate much more closely with people who I find are being honest and true and, and vulnerable. So, you know, I get to see into their soul because, you know, people who read the book don't know me. And what I need them to do is connect with me as quickly as possible. And I think that takes a level of openness and vulnerability. Um, the other piece of it is, what's going to resonate from a story standpoint. And this is one of the reasons why if you look at the book, there's three sections. The first section is essentially a case study of different things I've done or different situations where I've used do a day. And they're quite varied. 
And the reason for that is everyone goes through different things and not everyone is going to be facing the same challenge. So if my book was just on, you know, one of the key things I talk about is that I used to be obese as a child. I had about a hundred pounds to lose uh, a child, I should say, into young adulthood. Um, if I just talked about that, well, what if you're someone who's always been fit and active and your challenge is completely different? This book wouldn't really feel like it's for you, despite the fact that you could still learn the philosophy and apply it. So I do need to open up about a variety of different situations because I'm trying to resonate with people in a variety of situations themselves. I was interested at the beginning, you, you say you tell your story, but you don't prescribe. And, and, and you know, when mm. you know, sometimes people think, well, if I get a coach, they're going to tell me how to be better. Mm. Is, is it your philosophy that it's really, if you tell somebody what to do, they won't happen. It's got to be their own version of your story that makes them tick over. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, one of the, the struggles I had in losing weight was when I was a, a young child um, into my early teen years. My father had also been overweight and he's also a physician. So, you know, he lost weight and he knows medically all the risks of being overweight. So he was quite a strong force and, and not necessarily a compassionate one, but a strong force in trying to get me to lose weight. Um, and so he would impose things on me. He got me a personal trainer for a short period of time, which was fine, but not not anything that would last. He would you know, push me to do this diet or say, don't eat that or don't eat this. Those are all his choices. And what never happened was a discussion of what's going on with me. And the reason why I had gained weight was all, all of these emotional things going on with my parents' divorce. And, you know, as a little kid, you don't really know how to process that. So you turn to other things and you see some kids will act out. Some kids will overeat. Some kids will, will whatever. Um, some will do a mix of those things. And if you just say, well, don't eat that, how are they going to understand what drove them to make that decision? And how can you expect them to make the right choice? Whether it's a child or an adult really doesn't matter. You can't expect someone to make the right choices if you're making the choices for them. What you need to do is help them unlock their ability to choose correctly. It, it's the old saying, you know, teach a man to fish, yeah. he'll eat for a day. Or sorry, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat for his life. It's the exact same situation here. Yeah, we, yeah. we really do need to work on letting people unlock their own ability. So I don't, I don't give any answers. There's no workbook in here. I ask questions, but you need to go in and answer them yourself. And for some people, that's frustrating. I think that's just a case of they're probably not quite ready for it. Maybe they haven't looked within enough. And I'm glad that they're starting a journey. But my work as a coach is really to challenge people and to, to get them to look at themselves. So I try to do a bit of that in the book. It seems to me that so much of the solutions that are out there are focusing on the symptom rather than the cause. Completely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what our society is. You know, if you're looking around, it's all quick fixes and, you know, short attention span kind of things. There's an app for that. And if you're feeling this or that, you take a drug for it. If you're overweight, then you have to take these 23 drugs for all the medical implications of it. Or we can look at your diet and we can look at your activity and we could most likely need to also look at your emotional state because you didn't just magically become overweight for no reason. There are things behind that. So let's talk about it. 
Um, I think if you put in that work, you get to root causes and you create better people. That's, that's really the heart of it here is whether it's a, a life hack or a quick fix or a pill, these are all symptom treatments. And I'm, I'm not interested in that because it doesn't last. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast with some superlative CrossFit guy. And, and also in your book, you mentioned it's really, you know, there are people who do these crash course diets or sign up to a gym and then just, you know, it fails to stick. They're, they're, mm. they're, they're buying in on the symptom thing as opposed to what it's, why are they bothering with, with doing this? What, what is their deeper motivation and what's going to help stick throughout, if you don't want to talk about the future, all the same, down the road? Yeah. Yeah, and you hit on the key word. It's the word motivation. And that, that's the, in the second part of the book. I focus on motivation and goals. And motivation to me is that is the foundation. Because that was the difference for me. I had lost weight. I put much of it back on um, because I didn't have a real motivation. The first time I lost weight, it was in relation to being the fat kid and not wanting to be seen that way. Well, after I graduated from high school and I went to university, I was no longer the fat kid in anyone's eyes because nobody knew me. So my whole reason for having lost weight wasn't there anymore. I did it a bit for me. But it was also because I, I wanted to be seen differently. And now I was. So why am I still doing this? You know, if you lose weight for someone's wedding, whether it's your own or an ex-girlfriend's or whatever it is, or high school reunion or beach season or any of these other temporal things, what happens when it's over? Then what do you do? Yeah, so there are two things that I, I really wanted to get into. You say that uh, people don't change, lives do. But mm. how does that change come about? Because if I... Your, your story is heartrending, where you have your, your wife who's on death's bed, your child who's seeing you in your supporting role and, and, his, and her, his mom uh, in such bad shape. That then makes you wake up and then day one, July 1st. But we don't all yeah. have that. So, and that maybe changed your life or you then decided to change your life. But... What is it? Do we all need to? How do you do that moment? You know that like that that yeah. the egg and sperm meet for like whoa, we're on for a new ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I one of the podcasts I did was with a, a Navy SEAL who had been blown out of a vehicle by a rocket, um, and he's laying on the side of the road, you know, totally uh, just in in terrible shape and and discombobulated. He had that moment of clarity, and, and he's, he's made this huge shift in his life as well. Um, we don't need to be blown out of vehicles. We don't need to have our spouse sitting on death's door and our child about to be, you know, a, uh, being raised by one parent, if, if not any. Um, you don't have to have those shock moments. They're very good at forcing your life to change, but um, I would love for people not to have to experience those things. And the good news is you don't have to, but you do have to be willing to put in work. And I think those extreme situations, those, you know, my life is flashing before my eyes kind of moments, uh, they allow you to short circuit what could be years and years of work, though you still have to do work. They just make things clearer much faster. So this is the journey that I go on with people that I, I coach. This is the journey that I start to spark, I think, through the book. And from the feedback I've been getting, it sounds like it's working. But it's about, in a simple word, it's about introspection. 
right, so, so can you really look within yourself and be, be tough with yourself about what you really think and feel and what really drives you and question your answers? That, that to me is how that journey begins. So it starts with this inside look where you, you actually decide whether you're being truthful with yourself and, and who you are, what your worries are, your, your concerns. And then how do you move from that to making it happen? You know, you're doing mm-hmm. a day, but it, it, what is the thing that's going to drive me, like you having had that awful experience that you, you presumably, there's not a day in your life where you don't remember that, just like for some people 9-11 is inscribed in their minds or whatever, mm-hmm. or this Navy SEAL, they, that day is a defining moment of some sort. How, how do you... How do you then inscribe some kind of sticky matter that goes yeah. with you? So even when it's raining and crap weather outside, even when the, you know your nose is dribbling, you get up, you do what you need to do, the work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love the sticky matter phrase. I might have to reuse that. Go for it. So I, it, it's, it's about the motivation. And actually, when you find the right one, that question becomes somewhat irrelevant because it just happens and it's so obvious to you. But that's one of the ways that I challenge people when we talk about motivation. So you need motivation that is deep within you, that is not time bound, that is something that will endure. So, you know, sort of a a mix of the time bound thing, but it's something that can't get shut down. Um, you know, for me, as I compare my two motivations and my second one is my son, who I am to him as a father, the life he deserves to have by my hand, um, the role model that I am for him. It's, it's all about my relationship to him. And that's a very powerful thing. It's not going anywhere. He will be around as long as I'm around and I will, I will make sure of that. Um, and my responsibility to him will not change as a result of, of that. So you compare that to my first time around where it was, you know, I, I want to feel better about myself as it relates to how people are judging me, which is not deep within me. Those are my feelings, but it's based on someone's judgment, which isn't a great thing, uh, not a great thing to base your life around. It's temporal because as soon as my situation shifted and no one from high school, one person from my high school went to college with me and she was lovely and I don't think she's looked at anyone as the fat kid or otherwise. She's just a nice person. So there was no one around me anymore who still looked at me the same way. So all of my reason sort of faded away. Um, My son's not going to fade away and my responsibility to him is not going to fade away. And so that question is, you know, back to anyone else is, what is it for you? And it's not an easy thing to answer. Some people who don't have kids are like, well, it sounds like, you know, everything's about your son. So I don't, I don't have kids. So that's not relevant to me. That's fine. It doesn't have to be about kids. It can be about anything. A a friend of mine who is a parent, it's not necessarily about his kids. It's about how he wants to spend the rest of his life. And he works out every day. That's what he's motivated to do because he has an autoimmune condition. And if he doesn't work out, his body will start to go in the wrong direction. And he wants to enjoy his life after he's done working. He and his wife have big travel plans and they look forward to it. So he makes choices every day because he's excited for how he can spend his days. And it's, it's not just about the future. It's even today. So he wants to 
you know, enjoy the day he's having now. It's become a broader thing for him. Well, yeah, but does, but you, it does sound though, Brian, that he's, it, it's sort of like, I want, I gotta, I gotta stick around because I gotta have, I gotta enjoy my travel when I retire with my wife. So there's a future component to it, which albeit bring, he brings it back to, you know, I'm presuming he likes to work out. Yeah. So there's a future component to it when we started talking and as we worked through, and that's what concerned me is that it's, it's predicated on tomorrow. One thing I, I don't like, and you know, you asked me about how do you deal with, with the rainy day and we can define rainy day a number of different ways. I was at work extremely late last night after getting up at 3am and you know, I got up early for our call today. Um, if I, and, and that's not uh, abnormal. I tend to have days like this pretty much back to back seven days a week, maybe five if I'm lucky. So if I kept saying it, you know, I, there was a moment where I was like, if I just get through that call tomorrow morning and then, and then what, yeah. you know, what, why am I predicating my happiness on needing to get past some point in time? And if I think that that's going to work, something else will happen. Other things will come along. I'm a very busy person. It's not like all of a sudden I'll be sleeping till 10 in the morning. And, uh, and going to bed at nine, which sounds amazing to me, but that's not reality and that doesn't have to be. And, and I'm okay with things otherwise. So I stop myself from predicating my happiness on just get through this and then it'll all be fine. We all know that's not the way the world works. So find reasons to have happiness today and have motivation today. And so that was the kind of conversation that I went through with him is bring it back to now and let's think about how we take that motivation and broaden it out over time. So it's literally, it's an everyday thing. And, and he realized it's not just about, you know, going to Rome when he's 70 or whatever the trip may be. He's also saying, you know, if he misses a workout, it's actually hard for him to get around that day. And it sets the tone for the whole day and he's just miserable. And then that leads into the next day and, and he, he doesn't want that spiral. And so I said, you know, let's talk about not just the, avoiding a negative, but what's the positive that you get when you do work out? And so we framed it that way on a daily basis, starting from that initial sense of this sort of retirement focused motivation. I uh, just to go on the uh, podcast I was referring to before is Tim Ferriss's podcast with uh, Jason oh, yeah. Caliper, who's a CrossFit, okay. the, the, he's the CrossFit God. And, and he talks about actually training for him is pleasurable. And, and yeah. so that and he, and he attributes his success to the fact that he actually enjoys the training. I mean, it's a there's obviously endorphins and all that, but he he finds the challenges of training the pleasure. So therefore, in the now, just to go to your point. Yeah. Well, and I think you know it's I do talk to a lot of people about weight loss. This is not just about weight loss and and fitness, but in that you know there's so it, it's such an easy one to use as, as an example. But there's so much discussion about, well, I have to go to the gym and I have to sit on this cardio equipment for an hour and I really don't like it or I have to run and I hate running. First of all, who said you have to do anything? And second of all, why are you creating this regime of things that you don't like? There's so many different things you can do. Let's figure out what you actually enjoy because you're not going to keep doing that which you don't enjoy. And you can't just grit your way through the rest of your life. So what if we can structure something that's enjoyable? And the same goes for work. I, I coach people around their career, and there's someone I'm working with right now who's absolutely brilliant and is just stuck in the wrong corporate culture doing work that they very much care about. So what can we 
what can we figure out about what's good and bad in that culture and what actually would drive them and put them into a different place and, and understand how do you identify the right kind of culture so that you end up somewhere where you can thrive. Right. So in so some other company. <laughs> yeah. For, for that person, it's about another company, but uh, there's someone that I coached who, you know, was going on and on about how she was always told you have to do an hour of cardio and you have to run. And, and she's like, I just don't like those things. This is what I like to do. So, okay, we're not going to do any of that. Let, let's talk about what you do like to do. And we structured a program that, that she likes. And it sounds like it's the same thing for this person on Tim Ferriss's podcast. It's the same thing for me. And I, I was talking to someone the other day who uh, was a runner who had a, a pretty massive heart attack. And he's now, uh, he's just gotten back into running a, a, bit, a bit more slowly than he used to, but he's running again. But his diet has changed dramatically. He's not quite vegan, but I'd say he's vegan four days a week. And he has a very low animal product intake the other three days that he actually has, you know, a piece of chicken or fish or something. Um, his weight is, he was always, he looked thin before he said he's down about 15, 20 pounds, but it's very consistent now. And that's what I found when I went vegan is it has nothing to do with how much I exercise. My diet makes my body very consistent. And that's the first time in my life that's been true. So what he said is he actually discovered, rediscovered running and a love for running that he hasn't had since he was a little kid when, you know, kids will just run free. And so the reason is running became this adult thing where it's, you have to watch your weight. So you got to run right. or you have to do something, you know, it, it has this, again, an avoidance mechanism to it. It has a, a, a negative connotation because it's this, you have to do it. And it's about keeping a bad thing away. Now he does it just because he enjoys it. And that's the same for me. When I got into running, it wasn't for physical fitness. It was to, I, I read the book born to run. And like many people read it, I found myself inspired and I wanted to get out there and try it. And I, I fell in love with it. And I despised running my entire life before that sure. because I went for a different reason. So it, it is really important to unlock activities that you actually enjoy for reasons that are positive because those will be sustained and they'll be enriching to your overall achievement rather than the thing you have to do. No one wants that. So you, wrote and self-published your own book, Do A Day, and it got on yes. the bestseller list. So half of me says, whoa, jealous factor. How on earth did you do that? That's brilliant. What, 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 was, the, what was the key to success, getting getting yourself on the bestseller list on Amazon when it started uh, selling? Yeah, so a big piece of it is um, just not being afraid to be open with people. And it sounds basic and, and it also sounds not very action oriented. You're like, okay, that's lovely, but what does that actually mean? So what it means is in the same spirit that I wrote the book, I shared publicly what I was up to and I was very open with people about it. So actually through the process of publishing, uh, after the book was written, I really did open up to my own social networks, I, you know, whether Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, um, I asked people, do you want to, do you want to be one of my friend editors before I go to my official editor who I'm paying? I'd love to have some other eyes on it. So I get the most out of that paid editing. Um, you know, I, I threw out different ideas for the book cover, uh, that I had drawn or illustrated in on the computer. And I thought they were great. Uh, people voted on which one they liked. And then I had the book cover selected and then a friend said, why don't you actually just put it out to bid on, you know, one of these, 
um, sort of gig economy websites. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, something similar to that. I was called Design Crowd. And then I realized what a cartoonish joke my own work had been. But that's okay. I still liked it and I liked the process. So then I had them vote on, you know, I had seven finalist designs. And so I engaged in my community, with my community, in the process of bringing the book out. So it was interesting to watch when people started to raise their hand or, or vote. And I was shocked with how many people were voting on the choices. I mean, I got hundreds of people in my network responding, which I thought it'd be like three people and two of them would be my mother and father. Um, you know, maybe my stepfather would chime in, but that would be it. So I got all this, this engagement and, and people started to say, let me know when it comes out. I want a signed copy. And I was, I was like a signed copy. I never even thought about it. who would right. want to pay for my signature. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't just one person. And so I was like, all right, this thing is starting to have legs. I need to keep this going. And so I did. So I kept the engagement going. Um, I put together a list of everybody I knew and I sent out some, some emails to bring people up on, you know, this is coming out. Here's the date. I set a fixed date so that we could have, you know, a, a big influx of activity on that date. And, um, I, I got out of my shell a bit as much as I love speaking publicly. I'm actually introverted. So I get very nervous talking to strangers. You know, I'd be content to just sit in the corner at a party, which is funny because I I really do love speaking publicly. Um, But it's getting over that initial hump is pretty tough for me. So I'm on at least two planes a week. I started talking to the people sitting next to me and talking to them about the book. And, um, you know, I was always nervous before I jumped in. But you'd be surprised how many of them really engaged in the subject matter and I printed these little business cards with a QR code that would take you to my webpage and to the shopping side of the page. And actually it just, you know, sort of like knocking on doors as a door to door salesman, only hopefully not cheesy. Um, I was able to generate more and more activity. And so the launch was huge. I, you know, most people only sell about 250 books a year or 240, which I didn't know that going into it. Um, and I did that within the first day or two. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm not selling millions of copies, but what really hits me is I didn't write it for that. I wrote it to change lives. And as I said before, lives I couldn't necessarily impact through my own direct coaching work. Yeah, it's like, and if you're, yeah. And so, you know, if you sell hundreds of copies or thousands of copies, those are all people you're not working with now. And, and that's, what's really been rewarding for me. And I've gotten messages every day, literally at least once a day since the book came out with someone who's taking it in, who's been impacted by it, or it's resonating because of what their story is. And so they're sharing their story with me, which is the most beautiful thing. I mean, there's some incredible stories out there of situations I didn't even imagine the philosophy working in, mm-hmm. and they're using it. I mean, you know, just, I, I could go on about them, but it's, it's, really, um, it's really rewarding for me because this is why I did it. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I, I write, and I think it's the power of storytelling. So, when you tell your story, it's not a prescription where you know this is the this is what you need to do. It's this is my story, and the nature of, of us is that it makes me think of my story. I was chatting with the man this morning about my the book, The Lost Home, and Second World War, and then he went off and for fifty minutes waxed on about his uncle, a great uncle, and. And how they, mm. so two uncles actually ended up, they were living in, uh, on the border of Alsace-Lorraine in the sec- beginning of the Second World War. And one of them went off to do a, an, uh, to drop off something in the French part, ended up getting roped into the French army. And the other one stayed behind and was taken over by the Germans. And uh, they ended oh. up fighting 
on two sides of the of the trenches in the First World War. So it was the First World War, not the Second World War. But um, anyway, so the, you know, so like, whoa, another story, and, and stories begat begat stories. Um, yeah. Brian, I want to finish on one last part, which is you're, you're, you're working at this large insurance company. You've got you know, that going on, which is huge, and you're doing this on the side. So, I, you know, of course, it, obviously, from your voice, from everything you said, it's stimulating and it keeps you going in, on, you know, through rainy days and all. But how, how, do you, how do you really manage that? Or do you, you know, does this com- your company, the boss, have such a, a vision, a grand, generous vision that you're able to do that and they think it's going to be good for their business too? How is that masterminded? Um, it's definitely not the latter, although my, uh, my CEO is, is a good guy, um, very inspiring person and supportive, but this is very much a, you know, a little side thing to him. It's not tied into what I'm doing uh, in my day job, but the reality for me is it is, I mentor a lot of people in the company that I have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're obviously uh, people work for me and, and I try to take a mentoring leadership approach with them and a developmental approach with them. But people from other parts of the company have come to me for help or, you know, their bosses have, have asked if I'd take them on. And so the reality is the message of the book is infiltrating the company day by day. And I'm very happy with that. And, and other people seem to be as well. So that's a good thing. But um, there's a few things that have made me successful in balancing all of this. And if I had to point to one thing other than my reason, right, my, my son and that motivation around it, it's really the fact that at least in my current situation, I really love everything that I'm doing. And that is something I don't think most people get to say. So I'm acutely aware of that on a daily basis. Obviously, I mean, you've heard me talking about the book and the coaching work, and you can tell I love that. And I do because that is you know, from my, my heart. That's, that's a very personal and real thing. And I love the impact I'm having on people. But I also happen to be in a job at a company that has an amazing culture that I, I genuinely love what I do. I have an incredible team. My company is doing fantastically well. You know, we're in an industry that's essentially flat or actually for the past five years, um, the, the prices that we charge have dropped 10% while the economy's grown 15%. So you could argue we're not flat. We're down 25%. We've grown 30, 35% a year. And just as you said, stories beget stories. I think success begets success. And so there is this wonderful culture and feeling of, but things are going really well and we're firing on all cylinders and, and even tough times, people actually band together and push through and find a solution because they're so energized by the opportunities and the success. So I'm very um, lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it, to be in a work situation that I think contributes to the positivity of all this. But I've been in very tough work conditions and I talk about some of them in the book. And one of them was much more difficult than I even go into in the book. There's a lot of politics and game playing and actually law breaking involved. Um, so I, I, you know, it's not like I've always had it just super rosy and easy. Um, so part of that is I know better, which is, is helpful. Um, but I also have been through enough to know how to get through it right now. I think was the perfect time to bring out the book because I'm in such a nurturing, positive environment from a job standpoint and my own enrichment from my career. So that certainly helps. The other thing is I, I don't, I don't sleep. 
that's a, that's not a good thing, but I'm awake quite a bit during the day, especially very early in the morning. Um, and I use that for me. So I get up early, I meditate and I exercise every day. Um, and that's, that's a big part of how I keep going because it centers me. I do a lot of thinking while I'm exercising, which is one of the reasons I love running is it's a very Zen, you know, in my own head kind of thing. Um, I think that's been really crucial as well. That's when I work through a lot of what's going on in my head. And that's actually how I wrote the book is I was running in San Francisco along the ocean at four or five in the morning. And I framed the entire book that way. And I went to the airport and I just started writing and I had a seven hour flight and wrote about a fifth of the book on it. Wow. Well, uh, Brian, it's sort of like you do a lot of days in your day. <laughs> you make I do. You make your days full and rewarding it's obvious uh thank you so much for joining in what is the best way for someone to connect with you how would you like that to yes ask, Brian? so people can find everything from the do a day website it's doadaybook.com um you can follow me on a new on uh, twitter and instagram and facebook with do a day book. So I've tried to name everything the same way. I also have uh, a personal Twitter account and Instagram account called new body, N E W B O D I that you, you can follow as well, but doadaybook.com, You can link it up to all the social media and you can get the book there and you can find it on Amazon. Of course, as we mentioned before, but there's links to all of that right off do a day book. Sure. And soon you'll be able to find me on uh, Inc magazine as well. I'm a, I'm a columnist starting this month. Congratulations. Good one. All right, well, Brian, I guess um, you now, based out in San Francisco, can go off and do your day. I'm about to, well, I'm not going to close down, but I'm on the second side of my day. Um, thanks for joining. I look forward to staying in touch, and uh, I'll ping, ping you when this, all this goes live. Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your Portraits in the hallways, we got.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.